It's the 5th of September, 2021. <clears throat> so I've just been chanting. One of the verses was the Mangala Sutta that we chanted. And um, you know, all of these chants are in praise of the great qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And if we chant with sincerity, and we pick up, say, just one chant, then joy will arise within the heart. And that's if we chant with composure and with caution as well, not allowing the mind to go off and think about other things. And so these feelings of conviction and of faith towards the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha should arise within the heart. Because each chant that we recite is in praise of the great purity, the great compassion, and the great wisdom of the Buddha. And that's what all of these chants are about. So one of these Parita verses is about the Buddha, and he was a bodhisattva. He was born as a small bird and wasn't yet able to fly. His legs weren't strong, his wings were still weak. And there was a great forest fire that was very hot and was closing in quickly. And both of his parents had fled already due to this fire. And so this bodhisattva had been born as this small bird, made a determination of heart. And through uh, the barami that he had created, and through the kindness, the compassion in his heart. And so we can see that this is something which does actually exist in this world. This is something that is possible. Uh, and this fire, due to this determination uh, that the Bodhisattva made, uh, based on uh, these great qualities, uh, went out. And so, it was a dire situation that the Bodhisattva was in. His legs weren't strong, the wings were still weak, and both mother and father had fled, they weren't there. So he made this firm determination of truth based on the barami that he had created. And so this fire uh, went out, even though the fire itself uh, didn't have any life, didn't have a mind that uh, could know about this. Still, it went out due to the truthfulness, the honesty of the Buddha. So we can see that in times of difficulty or danger, this barami of truthfulness, of honesty, can help us and help to reduce those forms of danger. So perhaps someone's mother or father is ill and very close to death, and that child may make a determination that they will ordain for one month. And through this barami and the merit of this, then the illness of their parents or their family member can be completely relieved. And so they say that if they 
ordained, then they'll get this merit and they'll send it to their parents. And then through that merit, then the illness can be relieved. Or there may be someone who is lost at sea for three days and three nights. And they make a determination that they will ordain for the rest of their life. And through that, they're able to survive. And through that sincerity, through that honesty. And so the, this barami of the Buddha, this uh, barami of satcha, of truthfulness or honesty, was extremely profound. And even though he was born as a bird in that lifetime, still through that barami, that extremely hot fire went out. So we see that in this world there are these kinds of forest fires. They're very hot and they move very quickly as well. And they can um, destroy things. The people who get caught in those fires just completely disappear. There's no trace of them left. And they move very, very quickly. And it's very hard to put them out. So in each country, um, this often happens. During the summer, when the weather's very dry, then these fires can arise. And it's very hard to put them out. But due to these great qualities of the fully self-awakened Buddha, and due to his kindness as well, due to his virtue, which was full, and due to him laying down this determination of truth, then the fire was able to go out. So for monastics, we too make a determination of truth as well when we ordain. So that when we ordain, we set our hearts on Nibbāna. And when we do the ordination chant, we chant uh, Nibbāna Satchikaranataya. And so we make this uh, determination that we are ordaining for the sake of making Nibbāna clear, for seeing Nibbāna with clarity. And that's right on the first day of our ordination. But it's not just that day that we have that determination. And in order to ordain, um, each monastic needs to sacrifice many, many things first. Perhaps they've studied to a high level, got a lot of knowledge. And there are many monks who have got their bachelor's degree or master's or PhD even. Uh, but still they come and have this intention to practice. And so this is true also for the laity who have this firm sincerity to practice at home as well. And so for the monks, the novices, they set their hearts on ordaining for the sake of seeing Nibbāna, of bringing Nibbāna to clarity. And so for these monastics, in order to ordain, have to sacrifice many things, have to give up their occupations, give up their wealth and possessions, and all the happiness that they once had and gained from this world. And then come and set their hearts on the practice. And so in ordaining, then this is uh, of the duty of a monk to practice in this way.
So sometimes there are monks or lay people who wish to ordain in a very uh, secluded and kind of difficult place to stay, a place which is yet very undeveloped. And they don't know how they're going to survive there. Perhaps before they ordain, they think about how it's going to be. When I practice, what's that going to be like? And how will I survive? And these are all thoughts to do with the future. But due to seeing the drawbacks and the danger in the cycle of birth and death, they're able to go ahead with this all the same. So this word bhikkhu, um, the Buddhist monks, uh, what that means is one who sees the danger in samsara. And so for nuns and bhikkhunis, this is true for them as well. They see the danger in samsara. And it's also true for those who practice at home. You need to see the danger in samsara in order to do this. And maybe keeping the five precepts or the eight precepts. And so these five or eight precepts, these are kind of prohibitions, the things that we shouldn't do. Uh, but if we have these qualities of kindness, of compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, these dhammas, then we're able to keep these. We're able to have this satcha, this truthfulness or honesty, and set our hearts on the practice as well. So, if we're going to translate this word bhikkhu, kind of straight, it's one who sees the danger in samsara. And really everyone who practices in order to cultivate their minds and develop samadhi is one who sees the danger in samsara as well. So we could say that all Dhamma practitioners like this are monks, that they have this nobility within them and this desire for freedom, willing to sacrifice happiness that comes through sensuality, the happiness that we gain from meeting with forms and uh, sounds and tastes and odors, tactile sensations, that we find delightful and enjoyable. And so for the lay people, it's possible to find very delicious food, find clothing which is beautiful, a home which is very nice. It's possible to get these kinds of happiness. And then it's also possible to have a family as well, that this is uh, natural for us, and so we can seek these things out. But for those who have this really sincere intention to practice, they're able to keep or uh, to take up nekama, uh, this renunciation, and take up the pramacharya, the celibacy. And this practice can make the mind higher uh, through these eight precepts. And so for those who live at home, with a family, then maybe in the space of one month they can keep these eight precepts for four days. Or perhaps if they have the opportunity, then they can keep them uh, for many days in a row. 
And so through keeping these, then uh, we kind of are able to give up a lot of the uh, happiness, the delight that we find in sensuality. There isn't so many feelings, painful feelings in the evening from eating, and we don't find entertainment or delight, get distracted in uh, various forms of entertainment, in shows or plays, uh, because these are things which waste a lot of our time. And also we don't work to beautify these bodies, and in doing so it's easier to see their true nature. And so we practice, and we see the drawbacks in this world, noticing how this world doesn't have anything which stays in it for long. And even those things which have great value, various gems and diamonds, we see that all of them, they need to stay here in the world. We can't take them with us. The people who arrive in this world they come and they seek these things out through the knowledge, through their abilities and skills. And so they may have a lot of these knowledges and abilities, or maybe few, uh, but those who have mindfulness, wisdom, barami, intelligence, knowledge, they're able to seek these things out. And those who are truly intelligent, though, they'll use these to create goodness in order to aid one another, helping out in our societies uh, through the goodness within our hearts. And then you come to seek out uh, our own hearts and seek out generosity, seek out virtue. Because we know that these things don't last, these external forms of wealth. Even though they have a lot of value, they're only valuable because we still are breathing. And so we see that this breath is something that's very important. And it's something that's very valuable. And so in this present day, if problems arise with people's health, um, then oxygen is something that's very valuable and important for them. And our external wealth can really only help us if there are some ventilators that are available. So we contemplate to see the drawbacks in this way. And to see how any treasure or any wealth in this world in any world, in heaven, in the entire universe, can't compare with the Buddha, can't compare with the treasure of the Buddha or the Dhamma. And these, the triple gem um, has such great value, such great worth. So when we see things in this light, then we come to practice, because we've already made this determination of truth already to practice for the sake of Nibbāna. So we try to train our minds. So which path do we take to get to Nibbāna? And what do we do to arrive there? We know that Nibbāna is the highest happiness, 
and there's no other happiness which can compare to it. You see, the happiness within this world is the happiness that arrives from sensuality. But this happiness also has its dangers, its drawbacks as well. And when we find delight in sights, sounds, tastes, odors, tactile sensations, then we cling onto them. And this clinging then becomes a cause for us to be born and to die again and again, and to experience all the kinds of suffering that we do. That really these these kinds of suffering, they come to us due to this delight, this liking that we have. Because this liking is craving, and then craving is the cause for attachment, which is the cause for becoming and birth, and then suffering. So we don't only get happiness uh, from the things that we like, there's also pain and suffering there within them as well. So the Buddha taught uh, this really important path, this path that we walk on to meet the Buddha and to practice the Dhamma. And so we train our minds, we cultivate our minds and contemplate in order to bring the mind to peace. So there are many of these methods of practice that can bring the mind to peace, that can bring it into states of samadhi. We can chant, we can listen to the Dhamma, pick up an an object to apply our mindfulness to. And all of these are ways uh, to cultivate internal calm. And so when we have these qualities of generosity, virtue and meditation, or we could also phrase that as sila samadhi panya, as virtue, uh, samadhi and wisdom, and then the mind will understand and see into the Dhamma. It will know into the true nature of all physical and mental things and experience vimuti, liberation. But in order to get there, we need to apply ourselves, we need to bring up by energy in this practice in order to see Nibbāna. And so where is Nibbāna? Is it far away? Is Nibbāna a realm of existence? Well, it's not a realm of existence. And there are these three realms. There's the realm of form, the formless uh, realms, and then there's the sensual realm. But what about Nibbāna? Is it in any direction, north or south? Well, it's not. But does it exist? It does exist. So then what do we do? And how do we proceed? How can we go there? We have this desire to go there, don't we? Because we see that uh, through perceiving Nibbāna, realizing Nibbāna, then the suffering that we have reduces and reduces the suffering within the hearts. So the delight and the liking that we have within our hearts, this is craving, which leads on to attachment. And attachment is the cause for suffering to arise. And so we don't like the things that we're averse to, but we like the things that we're attracted to. But this attraction brings about attachment. And then through being attached to this attraction, then aversion arises. 
So if, for example, we have something which is very valuable, maybe a very precious diamond, and while that thing is still with us, then we feel at ease, we feel happy. But when one day that extremely valuable diamond disappears, then suffering appears in the heart. And that's because we've gone and attached to it, to these things which have great value, great value, these things which have a high price tag. But we don't contemplate them when we gain them. We don't contemplate to see how when these things leave us, then how much are we going to suffer due to that. We just don't see that coming. We don't understand that. And so if someone steals these items, then we suffer a lot due to that. Or this body as well. Our own bodies or the bodies of people that we love, then we attach to those bodies. But when some problems arise within one part of the body, then there's great suffering that comes up within our hearts. Perhaps before we could speak easily, we could walk about, we could think uh, conveniently, we could sit, stand, walk, lie down, we could laugh. But when these problems arise, then it may be very difficult for us to do these. So we need to contemplate and see how attraction actually gives rise to aversion. And Nibbāna exists in between these two states, in between attraction and aversion, or liking and disliking. And it exists where we can put things down, where we can let things go, when we can see emptiness. And we see this emptiness little by little. So slowly we're able to see this with clarity uh, through the mind which is peaceful. And as the heart becomes more peaceful, then this becomes more clear. We're able to see the nature of all material things in this world, that they don't last for long. And even if we were to own everything um, just as our own private possession, then it wouldn't bring any benefit to us, because we need to die. So the thing which has true value is seeking out the Dhamma. There was one occasion during the life of the Buddha where many lay men had their possessions stolen. But due to the great merit that they had created, they were able to come across the Buddha. And the Buddha asked them, what are you doing? And they responded that we're trying to find our uh, possessions which have been stolen. And so the Buddha then asked, well, which would be better, to find these possessions or to seek out yourself, which is a more noble search? And so they didn't know the way to do this. So the Buddha showed them. He taught them first about generosity and virtue and how this gives us happiness. And these laymen were able to understand this clearly. And so the Buddha carried on teaching how this happiness, we could say that it's heaven. It's a heaven that we go to when we die, 
But we also don't need to pass away in order to get there. Whenever the heart is happy, then right there is heaven. But there's also danger there as well. It comes with its drawbacks. Even though there's happiness, we still need to be separated from that happiness, that it doesn't last forever. And then when there's that separation, then suffering arises once again. So these men understood this clearly. They understood that this is really how things are, and that when we are separated from our wealth, from our possessions, from the things we like, then there's suffering that comes up. And so it's better to not go after these things. It's better to not uh, chase after them. Then the Buddha taught them to really set their hearts on the practice, to be generous, to be virtuous, to meditate, to train their minds. And in the end, they, their hearts settled into peace and they were able to understand the four noble truths of dukkha, the cause of dukkha, its cessation, and the path leading to that cessation. And so they understood the meaning of this clearly. And we see that. They're able to meet with the Dhamma, meet with the Buddha. And so they were able to understand this path out of dukkha. And in the end, through their practice, they were all able to attain to arahantship due to the great Bharami and the merits that they had created before. So for us, we should try to experience this as well. And when we have uh, this delight or the pleasure that comes from sensuality, uh, there's also the suffering and the drawbacks that are in that sensuality as well. And this is the nature of the world. So if we want to see the Dhamma, we need to contemplate. And we can contemplate right here and see how these things are always changing, are stressful, are not self. And then through this, the mind becomes empty. We're able to really understand these truths. And we can get to know the Dhamma. And this happens little by little. Uh, This clarity of insights becomes more and more clear. And then the mind can reach into emptiness. And when the mind is empty, then we see the Dhamma immediately. We see Nibbāna right within our own hearts. And if our samādhi is to a very high level, then you can attain right to arahantship. So some people, they also have some old karma as well. And this karma ripens. Uh, So maybe... There's been cases of a person who is getting eaten by a tiger, but while they're getting consumed, they contemplate, and before they die, they can attain to arahantship. And that's due to the merit, the barami, that they have created in the past. So for us, we shouldn't be heedless. We should all put in our energy and our efforts try to cultivate our minds, try to practice, because we have already laid down this determination of truth. And so we should try to bring this to fruition, to see Nibbāna clearly right here within our own hearts. 
And so if we do this every single day, then in the end we will meet with and attain to Nibbāna within our own hearts.